Today's show brought to you by the In the Money Plus coverage of the Breeders' Cup. We got a lot of free stuff. We've got even more behind the paywall. You're going to want to check it out, including grid picks from the team, special articles, special podcasts, etc. In the Money slash plus. Welcome to the In The Money Players Podcast. This is the Friday, October 28th edition. We are about to start the weekend that precedes the Breeders' Cup, which means we're inching closer to the two-day Breeders' Cup World Championships at Keeneland. I am going to have a stacked lineup today, and I, I should say, am Nick Tamaro. Pete Fornatal is taking today off. He will be back with you over the weekend for a couple of different shows. He does have a segment on this podcast later on with our very own Edison Hatter talking about the Breeders' Crown. I am going to have guests on to talk about the late pick five at Keeneland on Saturday afternoon, as well as the Golden Hour pick four and the final four races at Woodbine as well. We've got a lot of content at InTheMoneyPodcast.com, including picks and analysis for the late pick five at Keeneland, for the Belmont at the Big A cards, as well as uh, everything going on out at Santa Anita. Stay tuned for more of what we have coming at you for the Breeders' Cup itself, both on the In The Money Plus side and on the regular portion of it as well. So I am going to get today's show started with a look at the Saturday afternoon pick five at Keeneland. It is closing day. We've got three stakes races on tap, and in order to give it its just due, I had to choose one of Kentucky's finest without question, Churchill Downs' own Scott Shapiro here with me to discuss this late pick five. Scott, what's going on? What's up, Nick? A couple of years ago, if you would have called me, uh, someone was going to call me Kentucky's finest or least fine, uh, you know, five years ago, I would have probably thought you were crazy. But uh, I've been here a while now, so I guess I uh, am amongst the finest, if you will. You're getting there gradually. uh, (laughs) It it might take a little bit of work, but I think we're... uh, I think we're going to get there. Um, No, I kid, of course. And I'm sure you're geared up now for Churchill opening day on Sunday and uh, five-day-a-week racing from there throughout the month of November. Yeah, busy times here. Probably the best time of year for Kentucky racing with the uh, Churchill or Kentucky Downs and then the September meet in the Keeneland back to Churchill. And of course, we've got the Breeders' Cup here, uh, as you mentioned, at Keeneland. So lots of fun to be had, lots of races to handicap and uh, pretty good late pick five to close out the meet. Indeed, and that is the uh, topic of the hour, so let's get right into it. It begins at 3.40 Eastern time with the Bowman Mill, one of three stakes races on this Saturday Keeneland card. The Bowman Mill is at six furlongs on the main track for two-year-old Colts. We've got a field of seven going postward here, Scott, and I'm going to let you start by uh, critiquing my morning line. I mean, hell, everybody else does it, so uh, no reason not to. Um, I made Quick Hammer the favorite, and I felt pretty strongly about Quick Hammer being the favorite here. Am I wrong? No, I think you're right. And I, you know, would will preface that or whatever you want to say by saying this race is impossible, I thought. I mean, from a gambling perspective, from an odd-making perspective, I think you got it right with the three inside horses being the three favorites and Quick Hammer being the uh, ultimately the, the, the morning line favorite. But these horses all have somewhat similar running styles. They all have you know, good, but not great wins to break their maiden. And, you know, a couple of them have a couple of wins, but I found it to be very challenging. That being said, I landed on the favorite. So maybe, uh, maybe that's kind of uh, hypocritical of me, but I mean, quick hammer to me wasn't visually impressive on debut, but I think uh, Brad Cox usually, uh, even when his horses went on debut, they usually take a step forward in that second start. This one's a half to Calypso, the 2021 La Brea winner that won over 600000 And I think he uh, should take a step forward, but I think the biggest key here, Nick, is going to be avoiding getting caught up in an early duel. So many of them want to be prominent, and uh, not all of them are going to be able to be. Someone's going to have to relax, and probably if anyone can relax off the early pace and finish, they're going to get the job done. Yeah, I agree. That's exactly what I thought. Um, it also, considering I made this morning line Wednesday night, given how Luis Saez has ridden this week and, and how much money the horses that he's riding are taking, it really is staggering. I'm glad that I made Quick Hammer the favorite. I felt like you that the public was ultimately going to say, okay, these horses all want a zig. I need somebody who can sag. And I think that's kind of what Quick Hammer can do in being able to sit a little bit off the pace. Race Kane was very impressive in breaking his maiden second time out. And, and really, speed figure-wise, 
he's probably the one to beat. And, and, you know, he had the misfortune of running into Loggins first time out. I don't really think it would have mattered because he didn't have much to offer, but um, he's a little dangerous. I thought don't love the rail draw. I think that's going to be kind of the toughest thing for him. And, you know, I didn't know exactly what to make of bourbon bash. I know there's going to be some support with him breaking on the outside and, and having these bullet workouts. Obviously his maiden win was good enough to be a, a major contender here, but that race has not really held up to scrutiny. And, um, and he's come back and albeit against much tougher competition, but he's just gotten buried two times in a row. Yeah. I'm probably going to let bourbon bash beat me. Although on the cutback and the outside draw, he could end up getting that perfect stalking trip. I agree with Ray's Kane, the one to beat based on that last effort where he avoided what would have been a, a catastrophic disqualification because he was so much the best, but I'm concerned with the rail as well. He had a perfect outside stalking trip in that maiden breaker now moves to the inside. Doesn't have the speed. I don't think to make the lead. So the question is going to be, can Gerardo Corrales, who is an underrated rider, can he find a way to work out a pocket type trip? And if he can, I think Ray's Kane probably the likeliest winner, but I think that's a big if. Yeah, strongly agree on Gerardo Corrales, one of the more underrated riders around. I know you and I have talked about him a couple of times and how much better he's gotten as time has gone by. Let's go to race number seven, the second leg of this late pick five, which is going to be at six and a half furlongs on the main track. The balance of power in this race really shifted all the way towards the outside with Cape Trafalgar and Isitude. Cape Trafalgar, who is now a twice beaten favorite at Keeneland, once at two to five, once at six to once at even money. And uh, it's I'm sure the public is getting a little weary of Cape Trafalgar, who I did make a slight morning line favorite. Did you find an alternative to these two chalks on the outside? I did. I picked Cape Trafalgar for second. I wouldn't be shocked if he won, but he's underwhelmed. I mean, Call Me Fast was a horse that I thought had a big chance last time, and he ran well. I don't know if he should have beaten Cape Trafalgar by nearly nine lengths if Cape Trafalgar is a legitimately good horse that they spent 325000 for. I thought this was another challenging uh, you know, race in the sequence. I picked a big price on top, and I think it's a bit of a reach, Nick, with number one, It's a Bang Bang, who I gave a shot last time at Churchill, and he put up no fight after making the lead uh, under uh, Ray Gutierrez, who rode him that day. But he's been gelded since that start. That was a race that fell apart, and it was also a day where the outside was the clear paced place to be, and even more so uh, off the pace was the place to be at Churchill Downs. So I'm hoping with the ultimate equipment change, the race under his belt there, maybe a better race shape, it's a bang bang can run a whole lot better at 20 to one, but I think it more tells you how I feel about the overall quality of this field. You've got a couple of late starting, well-bred three-year-olds and pricing power, arrogate spirit. who's a half to Whitmore who ran uh, last time at Churchill ran, you know, didn't have a great trip. The race fell apart when he was between rivals early and shuffle back. But I, I just don't love horses like that, that are well-bred and take so long and they get to the races and take a minimal amount of money. One firster that I gave a look to and picked third was number nine, Power Seeker. And the only reason for that, Nick, is these connections, Brad Cox and the uh, owner, Gary and Mary West, $100,000 purchase, late starting three-year-old. They're very willing to enter a horse for 50, 30, 75, if that's where they think the horse belongs. So the fact that they're entering them for a hundred, I thought, or, uh, sorry, entering them in a protected spot, I thought was somewhat encouraging, but this is another race where I'm going to use more than just my top couple. Makes sense to me. I mean, I think you have to entertain as many alternatives as possible. Um, and, and I think you found some legitimate ones, including the second time starters that look like they could run better. That includes Isitude, who did run a good second on debut. Wasn't sure exactly how to handle this horse odds wise because he, he went off 37 to one on debut um, and certainly showed enough to be considered a major player here. The outside post is always a little bit difficult as well, but that is a good look at the second leg. Which also included, I don't even, I don't think you brought up Plausible Denial, who was bet multiple times in the winter last year at Oakland and a couple of times at Churchill. Now comes back off a layoff, presumably because something went wrong, but this horse has running lines that would win as well. He does. I just think some of those races are a little dressed up, for lack of a better word. And he didn't, you know, Jimmy DeVito, a guy very, very capable at winning at first asking. And he doesn't get that many $300 plus thousand dollar purchases. So the fact that this one continued to kind of put forth that similar race, now, albeit, like you said, that race might be good enough to beat this group, was a little bit discouraging to me. So plausible denial, if he is at that 10 to 1 price, might be worth throwing in, but I definitely preferred others. That is a look at leg number two, which goes as race number seven. Let's go on to race eight, the Bryan Station, grade three. 
Do you remember the 2020 Bryan Station won by 76 to one shot ever dangerous? It was on the Breeders' Cup undercard. Then. Oh, yeah. That's right. That's George right. Weaver, very sneaky. Yeah. who is uh, definitely clicking now that he's gotten into the more of the twilight of his career. In any event, this version of the Bryan Station features two-time now, well, actually one-time stake winner, graded stake winner on turf, Wit who comes in as the likely favorite here. I made him a slight morning line favorite. I also thought one of the more interesting participants is the five classic Causeway, who Kenny McPeak uh, seems to run every few weeks at drastically different distances. One of these days they're going to find the right one. Well, I think classic Causeway has got a big chance in this race. The Keeneland turf mile was a grade one, three-year-olds and up. A little bit over his head, but what I thought was more noteworthy was he broke well like he normally does, but was taken in hand by Julian Le Peru. Um, you know, there was more speed signed on in there than some of the other races, and it was at one mile. But I thought a little bit too under-aggressive there by Julian, who took him to a wire-to-wire win, got a mile and a quarter in the Belmont Derby. So I'm not sure if it was the plan or what. But now it's Brian Hernandez Jr., not Julian aboard. I don't see a ton of speed in this. And I'm not sure if Classic Causeway will be on the lead, but I would presume with the rider change that he would be given a little bit more of an aggressive ride early on in the race to get a better forward position. Between that and the class drop out of the Keeneland Turf Mile, I think Classic Causeway has a big chance. You did mention the fact that he uh, could be over the top. I mean, this is his 10th start of the year. I mean, this is a horse that won the Tampa Bay Derby and the Sam F. Davis. Now we're talking about him in the Bryan Station. What a, what a world we live in, Nick. But uh, Classic Causeway, I think, is a clear horse here that has it makes a ton of sense. Wit, hard to knock, you know, uh, reinvented himself as that late, you know, first was the late running two-year-old sprinter, uh, an early uh you know, two-year-old type champion consideration, then ran second in the hopeful and third in the champagne and shut it down. But, and then I thought Balmakoff was interesting, a horse that I'm familiar with from uh, following Delmar this summer. I don't know if there's enough speed, like I mentioned uh, for this one, but maybe if ready to perform from the inside, Axtelm and Classic Causeway and maybe for your future Ventura, or I don't know. I don't, I don't see a ton of speed, but if it does shake out a little bit differently, this horse can absolutely finish. Two back in the Oceanside, the traditional opening day feature at Del Mar. He showed that finishing punch, uh, getting the job done that day. And then in the Del Mar Derby at a mile and an eighth on September 3rd, towards the end of the Del Mar meet, absolute crawling early pace. They ran one, two around the racetrack, and they, being slow down Andy and Spycatcher, were nowhere near the favorites in that race. They just went 48 and three, 112 and four. Balnikoff came running and missed by just a little over a length as a nine to five favorite. But like I said, the race shape just didn't set up for him. So I'm going to use him because if he's a good price, like I expect him to be, I don't want to get beat if the race shape's a little bit different than I expect it to play out. Yeah, I think you make a good case for him. And I really think he's one of the contenders, no question about it. He kind of drew my attention when he ran as well as he did in the American turf, bested by stolen base that day. But, um, He's continued on quite nicely. I worry a tad only about deep closers on this turf course. I don't know if it really lends itself to that type of running style. You know, we talked about Classic Causeway, and, and of course, I, I believe that the best thing to ever happen to him was really the worst thing to happen to him, which was that he won the Belmont Derby because now he's, you know, he's, <laughs> yeah. he's clearly being campaigned like a turf horse when I think he really should have been given more opportunities in the right dirt races. Um, that said, I mean, it's, Looks like Brian Hernandez Jr. is going to be able to put him on the lead. Now, I'm yeah. not envisioning that the speed that Ready to Perform showed two back in the Hall of Fame is going to be a customary thing. I think that was more situational, and I don't think that Portfolio Company is fast enough to get clear, though I will say if Portfolio Company is going to have a chance in this race, they need to just be right on his neck coming out of the gate and try and clear the field. Um, I don't know what to do with Wit Scott. I, I wonder in a way – if Wit got good at Saratoga, this is a very hard horse to envision being a marquee turf horse. He has absolutely no turf pedigree. I know he took to it. Practical jokes are terrible on turf. I wonder if this is a horse that got good at Saratoga and is just not going to reproduce that form anywhere else. I would take a critical approach to him. I wouldn't want the favorite in this race anyway. There's one other horse in here who I wanted to mention who I think is going to get a good trip. 
because I think he'll be forwardly placed. I don't love the post position is play action pass. I bet play action pass in last year's bourbon. He ran way better than it looks on paper. The pace was extremely fast. It completely came apart. And then Robbie Medina ran him in a few different spots, trying to find the right trip. And his next good race came in his next turf race, which was at Keeneland. He followed that up with a, a couple of solid performances. And he finally put it all together last time out with Jose Lascano. He's now got gets Jose again. I think he's he's a danger at a nice price. I would use him along with a few others, including uh, Balnikov and Classic Causeway, and likely ready to perform. I'd probably use Witt as no better than a backup and would definitely be betting play-action pass to win in this really interesting Brian Station. That goes as race number eight. Let's go to the ninth, which is the feature on the card. The grade two Hagyard Fayette at a mile and an eighth on the dirt. I think we'll be dealing with a pretty short-priced favorite here in First Captain, who will not be participating in the Breeders' Cup Classic, despite my future bet on him at 65-1. to 1. <laughs> you know I really I had him... <laughs> I had him pegged to beat Flightline if he gave him a chance, but uh, <laughs> I guess Shug wants to get the sure thing here. But That uh, was a let-me-hope Flightline doesn't make the Classic bet, right? Right, yeah. Uh, West Point not going to put their two best horses against each other, I guess, right? Um, I think First but, Captain uh, tells his friends that his owner also owns Flightline, but I don't think Flightline tells his friends that his owner also owns <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. I, I think First Captain's just better than these horses. Um, the one concern would be if they go real slow early on, his grinding style might not be good enough. That effort in the Suburban, uh, I'm not sure how much I believe. I, I'm looking at the Brisnet speed ratings right now of a 109, which is just way faster than any other number he's ever earned. Maybe a little bit embellished, but I still think regardless of what number you're looking at on what metric, that race is, would certainly handle this field, losing by a nose to dynamic one. And with Louis Saez aboard, it should get a pretty aggressive ride for this horse's style, at least kind of a mid-pack style. But I'm going to use West Will Power as well. I don't know how good this son of Bernardini is, Nick. But what I do think is that he'll be on the lead, even with Joel Rosario aboard. I mean, outside of maybe Last Samurai and Tyler Gaffleon, who rides this horse for the first time in May, you know, shove him out of the gate to give him his best chance. It just doesn't seem like there's anybody that's going to want the lead in here. And it worked well for West Will Power last time out against lesser competition at Churchill going a mile and an eighth, the same distance as Defiant. So I think West Will Power would be the other, only other horse I would want to use. I've got a lot of respect for Folsom, Nick. And I even liked him cutting back in the grade three ACAC where he underwhelmed, very flat effort, finishing fifth in a field of eight. We'll appreciate getting back to two turns, but man, he is going to be pace compromised in here. And he just isn't as good recently, at least when he doesn't get Lasix. He's got some races that you could find on the page that make him competitive. But overall, I think he's better when he gets the anti-bleeding medication. So I'm going to use the one and four and let Folsom beat me, even though I have a lot of respect for him. Yeah, I think West Willpower is, is in, in many ways the horse that holds the keys to this race. I also wonder with Folsom, and I know this is probably more subjective than anything else, but I feel like Brad Cox has campaigned him like he really doesn't think he's any good. You know, and, and maybe that's it's it, all the, you know, the backing off after the, the Ali Sheba and, um, and putting him in a softer spot, all that stuff. You know, maybe it's me reading into it too much, but I also do think that that part of it has to do with uh, with him needing Lasix, and I think Brad's probably aware of that because he certainly has underperformed now as a four-year-old multiple times without it. Uh, I agree with you on West Willpower. I think he's going to hit the right kind of trip from the inside. I think Joel will either go to the lead or he'll sit just off of Last Samurai, and I think either way he's going to get the right kind of setup without question. First captain's the horse to beat on paper, but he's an awfully tough horse to trust because he has that one run closing style. I'm still amazed that he's become kind of a, even a halfway proficient two turn horse. I would have thought I would have bet anything that this horse was a one run one turn sprinter, but for some reason, Saez fits him. I guess he needs the hair ridden off of him in a way. And, you know, with Saez, all you see is, is arms pumping and, and, mm -hmm. and arms flapping away the whole time. And, and he seems to get it. So we'll see if that's how it works out in the Fayette. That's the featured event on tomorrow's 10 race card. The nightcap is at five and a half furlongs on the turf. It's going to go at about 548 Eastern time. I went about as short on illegal smile as I could have in here because uh, this horse is going to be a huge favorite. And I thought pretty tough to beat. 
she's faster than these horses, right? I mean, yeah, yeah she did. She didn't have much of an excuse in the smart and fancy. And I know that's an ungraded stakes event, but that's borderline. You know, that, that's a that's a really good. That was a good field. Caravel is legit. Change of control. I think we talked about them last time we uh, convened here on the podcast. The only way a legal smile could, should get beat is if one. Jose Ortiz isn't able to navigate a trip from the inside, which I don't think will be a problem. Or two, if the stablemate Spicy Mar just gets loose and lonely on the lead, which could happen. But either way, I mean, I think the way the race shapes up, Spicy Mar will get loose on the lead and is pretty much significantly quicker than anybody else, which bodes well for a horse drawn along the inside with tactical speed like a legal smile, because you're going to want it to be, you know, not a very compact group, you know, early on in that race. You're going to want a little bit of separation if you're backing a horse or filly like a legal smile at a short price. I'm going to uh, make a legal smile a, a lone A and make Spicy Marg a lone B and trust in Wesley Ward, a guy that I get right at least once a year. Um to get the job done in the final uh, race of the meet. Highest percentage trainer in the game that I never get right. Uh, does anybody get him right? No, no. He's, <laughs> he's, our mutual friend, Andy Serling, said to me at one point this summer, he says, I have gotten every Wesley Ward horse at Saratoga right. And I said, yeah, and they're the only Wesley Ward horses you've ever gotten right in your life, right? And he said, yeah, of course. I mean, nobody gets Wesley <sighs> right. It's, it's just impossible to figure out. And, you know, just when I felt like, I was kind of getting the right gauge on how much the public backs him. They backed off or I moved the odds down too much. And I guess they didn't look as appealing, but yeah, he is uh, he is as innervating as any trainer out there. It does look as, as you said, like a legal smile is just probably a little bit too much for these. The only, only other horse that I could entertain using a little bit would be Lemos Cunha for Eduardo Caramori. Who's the five. This is, I'm talking more like a, this is a horse you use as a C. And maybe maybe you throw in the tries to try and juice it up a little bit, but she's gotten into good form of late. She's just going to need things to really, really heat up on the front end in order to set up her big late bid. Well, that is a look at the Saturday Keeneland late pick five on closing day of the 17-day fall meet. Scott, thanks so much. We'll look forward to seeing you on the Churchill Downs broadcast on Sunday. Yeah, always great chatting, uh, Nick. And uh, despite public sentiment, I thought you did a good job at a tough meet in your first time. And I'm sure you'll learn from your mistakes and uh, take advantage of the things that you got right. That's one of the tougher meets to, uh, you know, to be the morning line odds maker at one of many thankless jobs in this industry. And, uh, you know, I thought you did a good job and looking forward to uh, seeing what you got for the Breeders' Cup. I appreciate it very much, and I promise you won't have to wear a scarlet letter around the Commonwealth for making <laughs> such a comment about my morning lines. But I also did not pay you, um, but I appreciate it. And, of course, I know you, you, you're you not to be bribed anyway. But uh, thanks so much <laughs> to uh, all of you listening and uh, to Scott Shapiro for joining me. We are going to segue into the next segment here. We're thrilled here at In The Money Media to be partnering with Hawthorne Racecourse for the end of 2022 and excited to announce they're going to be doing a featured $25,000 late pick four on Fridays beginning November 11th and through the end of the year. The wager will run through the last four races on the card. Great opportunities for a savvy player to potentially take the whole pool and do not miss out on the legendary Thanksgiving weekend contest November 25 through 27. Now, including a $1 million bonus if you win one of those and go on to win the 2023 National Horse Players Championship. 10 NHC seats are going to be available. $300 starting bankroll on Friday, $500 bankroll on Saturday and Sunday. No entry fee, seats added to the prize pool, live wagers, open format, and the biggest bankrolls win. Stay tuned to the In The Money Airwaves for more Hawthorne content and check out InTheMoneyPodcast.com slash H-A-W for more contest information. The Santa Anita meet is still going on. All stakes late pick four on Saturday, October 29th. Build that bankroll prior to the Breeders' Cup with Santa Anita's all stakes late pick four. Free pass performances and analysis are available at SantaAnita.com. Last chance Breeders' Cup betting challenge qualifier happening on Sunday, October 30th at Santa Anita. 1500 is the buy-in. Compete in Santa Anita's live money handicapping contest on track or via express bet. Last chance to score BCBC seats and cash through 
the Santa Anita contest program for the full schedule of live t- uh, contests. Go to santanita.com slash contest. It's going to be a mandatory pick six payout on Sunday, November 6th. Uh, circle that date on your calendar. And then we've talked all meet about the show Viver being back and also the pick. I'm proud to be uh, sponsors of those here at in the money media for much more information. Go to santaanita.com slash contest. Next up a guest. I always like to have on because, you know, I like to think that one of the things we try to do here generally and in the money media is educate people about the sport of, of, uh, of horse racing on the flat. When it comes to harness racing, I'm super intrigued by it. I'll bet it, but I don't know much about it. I get a chance to be uh, educated anytime I bring on this next guest. He's Edison Hatter from the First Over podcast. Edison, what's going on? Thanks for having me on, Pete. Uh, look forward to it. I mean, you know, for everyone, whatever side you fall on, it's definitely a busy time of year here. The Breeders' Crown this weekend, the Breeders' Cup next weekend. And people like me that truly love both and, you know, breathe and sleep both, it's a really exciting two weeks. <laughs> Well, that's the place I want to start because we're doing this as a video for our YouTube channel. It's also going to be part of the normal late week podcast. And there's a lot of people I know on the YouTube channel, um, very intrigued by Breeders' Cup. And I'm guessing a lot of them don't really know much about Breeders' Crown. That's probably true of the flat audience in, in general. What can you tell us in terms of similarities between the Breeders' Cup and the Breeders' Crown? Ultimately, at the end of the day, Pete, they're very similar. Um, You are looking at a set of championship races to determine the best of the best at the year's end. Um, Now, obviously, in the Breeders' Cup in in recent years, there's been a lot more international horses. Obviously, we saw Japan win a couple last year, and, you know, we see plenty of European horses in the turf races. Not necessarily the case here. Really, it's North America-based. A lot of our American horses and Canadian horses, there's uh, one race a year, usually Yonkers Raceway, the international trot. That's kind of our one chance to see horses from Sweden or Australia or other places coming over here and race. But nonetheless, it still is the year-end championships. It really does decide a lot of divisional honors. And ultimately, it's two huge days of racing. And very similarly, the future starts Friday. We have all of our two-year-old championship races on the Friday card. And then the Saturday card is the older championship races. And I guess our Breeders' Crown Classic, if you want to call it that, is really a couple of different races. There's not really a classic division per se. But, uh, of course, people are always intrigued by the uh, what we call the glamour boys of course the three-year-old colt pacers you know essentially the same as our three-year-olds that go through the triple crown series everyone's always intrigued by that division and then of course just the open pace the open trot are the best older open pacers and trotters so um definitely some exciting things to look forward to on there the really difference is maybe that we have eliminations last weekend we've already held those to determine who would end up on the gate for this next weekend so in that sense of course the winning your ends exists to kind of help the breeders cup get the entries but for the breeders crown this is really a chance that the week before we just saw these horses race against one another in elimination. So that maybe gives you a little bit of an easier time, maybe as a handicapper, getting an idea of how they just performed the week before. It definitely is something that used to be much more of a thing in flat racing as well. Recency and that ability to say, okay, this is where this horse is in its form cycle now, as opposed to these days where we're sometimes taking looks at horses that haven't run in three months or perhaps in one notable case at the Breeders' Cup, haven't raced in a year. A little bit easier when you have that eliminations the week before. The two nights in question now, it will be Friday the 28th and Saturday the 29th. You've got all kinds of special coverage, including a roundtable. And if you're watching this YouTube video the day it goes up, you still have time to make sure you can find the, the roundtable Edison's doing scheduled right on the In the Money Media channel. What can folks expect from that show, Edison? Yeah, I mean, it's my usual guest, the panelist. Um, it is myself, along with Mike Provozzi, Ray Catolo. They both work for Nahu Picks. They both have many years of expertise in this industry working on air personalities. Uh, for Mike Provozzi, he has his picks from Nahu Picks on the Woodbine Mohawk feed on a nightly basis. Ray Catolo works up now as well for the DRF Harness. He writes a column for there. He's He's like me. He's like 23 or 24, and yet he's worked in this industry like 12 years. So he's got much more experience than me in that sense, even if we are the same age. Child labor. <laughs> uh, Derek Givner will be with us. He is the editor of the DRF Harness. Uh, I know you know him as well. So fantastic guy, you know, great source of knowledge on facts and stuff like that for these uh, events and great handicapper. And likewise, Garnett Barnsdale, who works with DRF Harness as well. Fantastic source of information there. And Robert Reed Jr., who writes the uh, Horse Players Journal in the Woodbine Mohawk program each and every night. So it's a fantastic source of knowledge that we have there to, you know, pull at at our disposal to uh, discuss these races and give everyone some, some of our thoughts, handicapping advice and the wagering strategies. 
And um, I think if anyone is in the area up there in Woodbine and is curious to check it out in person, I think besides Ray and I, everyone else will be up there in person on track this weekend. Of course, they're happy to you know meet anyone that, that should be listening and want to chat with them even more about the races while they're up there and hang out a bit. So That's an all-star team, and we're very excited to be working with you on that. Another similarity with Breeders' Cup and Breeders' Crown is the, the, the venue and the way that that works, of course, this year at Woodbine Mohawk. But th- this is an event that moves around, right? Yeah, so, um, you know, it's, you know what, I'd almost say it's exactly like the Breeders' Cup in the sense that, let's see, in the Breeders' Cup in the past, what, we've done Monmouth and Lone Star Park, and now it seems like we're pretty well set on Keeneland, Santa Anita, Del Mar, that's pretty much the circuit, right? I guess Churchill Downs as well. Churchill just, being the fourth, that's what it's been the last several years. Pretty much it. Kind of the same thing in the Breeders' Crown. Um, we used to have at a point where, in fact, all the races weren't even held on the same day. It used to be that a lot of these different races, you know, so there's 12 divisions for us. So what's a 14 for the Breeders' Cup, 14 championship races. It's 12 for the Breeders' Crown. Used to be the one race would be held at this track and another at this track. And that was back when it started in the uh, early 80s. And I think they even both started around the same time. It was 1984, I believe, for the Breeders' Crown. And I believe the Breeders' Cup was right then as well, right? Maybe 83. So they both started around the same time as well. And um yeah, so but lately, the three that we've had in rotation are, ironically, Pete, really three of the tracks that we've uh, worked with a lot here on the money. It's Hoosier Park out in Indiana, it's Wood by Mohawk up in Canada, and it's the Meadowlands in New Jersey. And, and those are really the three they've settled in the last couple of years. And uh, ultimately, I think that's the rotation they'll keep with. I really think they are the, the three best venues to host an event like this. One of the storylines on the standard bread side that's really captured my imagination this year, the saga of Bulldog Hanover hit a little bit of a bump in the road last time. Will he be competing at the Breeders' Crown? He will be. And, um, you know, it's interesting. Uh, So he is a horse who, you know, in in that most recent race, and, uh, you know, you can go listen to our roundtable martyr, there'll probably still be more debate over this. There's there's two lines of thoughts here. The question is, did he throw in a clunker and he lost the race last time out in, in Kentucky? Or, you know, did he still race really well. I'm of the opinion he still raced really well. It's one of those things that, you know, he's won so much this year, you know, winning another race, simply winning it, especially a race like that, that, you know, is a nice little stake, but it's not the breeder's ground, you know, it's not a championship race. I think they went out with the intention on that really fast track to go for the record. And those fractions that he set early on showed that. So I think they were determined to just empty the tank. Can we break this record regardless of what happens behind us down the stretch? And I think that's what they did. He got out sprinted later by a very good horse who was last year's, you know, champion older pacer. I mean, he's a fantastic horse as well. Um, the horse that he lost to, Alleywag Hanover, they'll match up again here at the Breeders' Crown, and they'll match up again in a month at the Meadowlands in the TBG Finals, which is the final Grand Circuit event of the year. Um, and what's interesting about Alleywag, uh, I guess to give you a, a very short 30-second background, is that there were some issues with stakes payments for him this year. So he did not end up in a lot of the big stakes throughout the summer because his payments weren't up to date and he did, wasn't eligible to those races. So in theory, we could have had Bulldog and Alleywag squaring off all summer. But as a result, Alleywag's kind of been stuck finding, you know, other spots for himself to enter in. Bulldog's been in all the big stakes. So now here at the end of the year, we're going to get really three matchups between them. The Alleraja Kentucky, which Alleywag won, this Breeders' Crown Final on Saturday, and the TVG Finals next month. So those three worth watching for sure, those, those three matchups as we go forward. In the preamble, you talked a little bit about the Glamour Boys division. Give us an overview of what's been happening in that division and how we might see it play out on the track. Yes, yeah, so I guess if, for people listening, to give some race numbers and ideas. So Friday, Saturday's cards both will start at 7 p.m. I believe the coverage on Fox Sports 2, by the way, is uh, 9 to 11 p.m. on Friday. And on Saturday, it is 7.30 to 11. Um, races 6 through 9 are the two-year-old championships on Friday. Races two through nine of the championships on Saturday. So we discussed the open pace with Bulldog. That will be race nine Saturday. So that's why I say that. That, I guess, could be kind of considered our Breeders' Crown Classic, if you want to pretend that exists. It is the last race, you know, Breeders' Cup Classic. Of course, the last, you know, Breeders' Cup race on the card. I believe they're throwing a 12th race on the overnight, I believe I saw the back end of that huge card at Keeneland. But uh, open pace, race nine. And then for us, we still have three more after that. So we'll have 12 races total on that card. Um, but we were discussing next the uh, three-year-old Cold Pacers. That will go as race number seven. And, uh, yeah, that's an intriguing division for sure. Um, Beach Class won the Meadowlands pace and was a fantastic story to follow this summer, was racing really well. But he had a little bit of injury issue. They weren't sure whether he'd be ready in time for the Breeders' Crown. The answer was no. So he ends up out of here. Um, and that leaves us with really two big ones that are going to be battling here. It's Pebble Beach, who won the North America Cup over this Mohawk surface back in June it's kind of an okay year since then. He's been putting together some big races, but maybe nothing super spectacular. But he won. 
his um, elimination very impressively. He's gotten Lasix recently, so maybe that's a plus, and he's looking in pretty good form heading into this final. But the other horse has taken this division by storm this year is by the Missile, who was very lightly raced going into the Adios out at the Meadows back in late July and was considered a pretty big underdog to Pebble Beach and Beach Glass that day. But he beat them, and has just been on a roll since then. Uh, he has won many in a row, and he won pretty nicely in the elimination as well. So it's one of those things that he's been out in Ohio. He's been racing maybe a little less stock than these in some of these races. So this is a chance to really prove that he's the leader of this division with a win in the Breeders' Crown. And uh, those two are set for a great battle Saturday night. Look into some of the other divisions that are going to be on display. Who are some of the other stars? What are some of the other storylines we can look forward to? Well, race two on Saturday night, we'll go on and start off the uh, Breeders' Crown action on that Saturday card. And it is going to be a battle there of Bella Bellini versus Atlanta. Uh, Bella Bellini has been a spectacular mare all year, mare trotters. And, uh, you know, she for sure is probably the one to knock off. Atlanta's got a tough task, but she's a big rooting interest for me personally. I think anyone who loves this sport, Atlanta is absolutely one of the best trotters we've ever seen in the sport. Um, but, you know, it's one of those things that she's just continually run into monsters at their peak performance when it comes to the Breeders' Crown. So she, believe it or not, despite winning basically everything in the universe, I think she's won like 35 times from her 70 lifetime starts. She does not have a Breeders' Crown. And if the hint was there in the way I'm saying all this, she is retiring at the end of this year. So this is her little farewell tour. Um, she's down to basically this and the TVG final at the Meadowlands in a couple weeks. And this, of course, will therefore be her last chance to try to finally claim a breeder's crown that she so rightfully deserves. <laughs> one of the, that's great. One of these things, one of the things that makes racing so enjoyable all around is rivalries. Do we have any of those to look forward to? Yeah, you know, we got another one in the three-year-old Philly Trotters, um, Jiggy Jog, Joviality. They'll resume no rivalry in, in that division. And, you know, there's a lot of them, too. You know, a lot of these divisions. And, you know, I think there's a lot of divisions where limb winners are obviously going to be kind of the battle, you know, predicted is going to be these two against one another. But nonetheless, there's also always great opportunities for upsets. You know, the favorites don't always win. So uh, there's definitely a lot to look forward to. But, yeah, a good one rivalry to discuss would be Jiggy Jog and Joviality. And, Maybe even fashion schooner sneaking in there, too. I mean, that three-year-old Philly trotting division has been pretty wide open all year. They've kind of taken turns beating up on one another. But, you know, Joviality, I think, especially when it comes to divisional honors and even this race, has a clear advantage because she's not always been in that three-year-old Philly trotter division. She's taken on the boys several times this year and has done it very well. So I think that gives her a pretty good advantage coming into this final. You mentioned divisional honors. Is it similar to the Breeders' Cup where – Look, you don't have to win a Breeders' Cup race to win an Eclipse Award, but there's probably an 80% correlation. Is it a similar deal? Yeah, so for us, it's the Dan Patch Awards, Eclipse Awards. Again, there's so many parallels when you look at harness racing and thoroughbred racing. Uh, really, all the same thing. We even go to Florida, too, you know, for the award ceremony. Ours are in uh, early February. It's late January for the Eclipse Awards, you know, um, and, you know, divisional honors on the line, of course, here at the Breeders' Crown. And, um, yeah, it's one of those things that – you know, I think recency sticks in the, you know, voters' mind. So for sure, I think uh, how you're, you know, racing in these races and coming out of this end of the season will have a great deal of, you know, who wins divisional honors. But, uh, you know, there's, there's of course, possibilities that depending on what you've done the rest of the year, you could still win. For example, at this point, I think in terms of open pacer, as well as just horse of the year, overall horse of the year, I don't think Bulldog Hanover could really manage to lose that title in the next two races, even if he were to finish dead last twice. So, I mean, you know. It makes sense. It's very, very, very similar again in that regard. Now, you're going to have this whole other show. It might, depending on if you're listening to this or watching on YouTube, it's either going to happen or it's already happened. There's going to be loads of tips and great information on there about the specifics. But is there one spot, one thing that leaps to your mind as we record this Wednesday morning of, of a horse you know you're going to be betting, maybe one we haven't talked about yet? Um, You know, I, I probably should, I sure I should admit it out loud that this publicly, because I've kind of said off the record, not for people, but it's one of those things last weekend, I was just so tired, just had a long week. I'll be totally honest, I didn't actually watch too many of these live as I should have on the limbs. Of course, at this point, I've caught up quickly on the news and notes and, you know, caught some replays. But admittedly, my research is far from done. There'll be plenty of work done tonight for me, as well as tomorrow afternoon. I've got blocks of time set aside for my other jobs to make sure I do my due diligence before tomorrow night's show. So not necessarily, but just some overview highlights I do know for sure, Pete, is that there are some great betting opportunities. A Friday night is one of those things that there were some upsets in the limbs. There were some heavy favorites that won in the limbs, but even so, 
I think all four of those divisions are so wide open. There is anybody can win in some a lot of those divisions for the two-year-old. So that may be the best card of betting. And you know what? It's also really great betting opportunities. There's hundred thousand dollar guaranteed pick four, pick five pools, races one through five and six through ten, Friday and Saturday night. So that's four one hundred thousand dollar guaranteed pick five pools. And that one in races six through ten on Friday night will include all four of those Breeders' Crown races for the two-year-old. So that could be one that really pays with the right prices. Phenomenal betting opportunities from our friends at Woodbine Mohawk and the Breeders' Crown. You can hear all about it with this first over round table. Make sure to check that out. Subscribe to Edison's feed there as well. Does such a good job covering the sport. And we may press you. I know you're nuts now, so I won't bother you until next week. We may press you to get involved and give us some Breeders' Cup thoughts as well because you've already tipped your hand on how closely you follow the thoroughbred side of things. Edison, fantastic having you on these airwaves, and we will see you on the roundtable. The Del Mar Fall Meet is fast approaching with 13 racing days and 15 stakes from Friday, November 11th to Sunday, December 4th. Back this year is the Ship and Win program featuring a guaranteed $3,000 check for any qualified starters who last ran out of state in their first Ship and Win start, including stakes races. These purse bonuses will also extend to a horse which makes its initial Ship and Win start at the Santa Anita Autumn Meet. Additionally, a 30% bonus is going to be applied to qualified horses purse earnings for every start during the fall meet. Do not miss out on Del Mar this fall. Next up, we head out west looking at the Golden Hour Pick 4. And to do that, a regular player of the Golden Hour Pick 4 himself, my friend and yours, Blake Jesse. What's going on, my friend? Oh, not a whole lot. Um, looking to dive into this great Saturday uh, sequence of the Golden Hour Pick 4. I must say uh, it's a welcoming uh, sequence for me. I love these dollar sequences that uh, don't seem to get saturated like the 50-cent uh, kind. Yeah, and I guess before we dig into the actual sequence itself, talk a little bit about why you feel that way and what it is about your play and how you generally structure your tickets that helps you uh, really or really prompts you to want to dig into these a little bit more. Yeah, I mean, having played the game since I was, you know, probably about 12 years old and I'm, I just turned 40 this year, um, I've really noticed that since the introduction of the micro wagers, the 50 cent bets, that these pick fours don't seem to be paying uh, what they used to, uh, you know, back in the 90s, the early 2000s, when we didn't have the uh, 50 cent uh, denomination. So uh, the other factor is, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, is I also believe that the, the computers are held out of the, uh, the golden hour sequence. So um, that goes a long way in helping um, you know, the everyday better like uh, you and I, Nick. So uh, that's another reason, but uh, it, it really comes down to the denomination. Uh, it, it prevents people from spreading uh, just simply because they can't fit it into their budget uh, when you're playing for a dollar. Yeah, I think that's totally fair. I don't have any hard data on it. It seems more anecdotal than anything, but I do think that in, in my own experience, it seems as if you, you do get a lot of value in sequences like this. Also the Stronic 5, it's also at a at a $1 minimum, the Keeneland All Turf Pick 3 that we've been discussing on this network is another higher minimum wager that I think really juices up that payoff. Well, let's get into the sequence, which begins in the Senator Ken Maddy going six and a half furlongs down the hill at Santa Anita. This is going to be at 5.06 Pacific time. So if you've settled in on the East Coast for a little bit of uh, Astros Phillies game two and or some college football action, you can certainly keep computer or one of your additional TVs on this sequence. How are we going to get this started going down the hill, Blake? Well, we have a, uh, a down the hill specialist here in this three-year-old Philly, Connie Swingle. She's three for three going down the hill. Um, you know, she's just really been lights out. With that being said, um, she does pick up uh, a decent field in here. Uh, I'm definitely using Connie Swingle as an A, the three. The other horse I'm going to be using as an A is the nine, uh, Amy C, one that's uh, getting back to going down the hill. Uh, it's already one for one. This will definitely be a step up in class. But, uh, you know, from a figure's uh, point of view, it definitely fits with Connie Swingle. So uh, going to use those two on the A line. A couple that uh, intrigued me, Nick, as far as, you know, a little bit longer prices and some value, uh, Lexington Humor, the two. Uh, you know, very lightly raced, uh, you know, hasn't had the uh, seasoning as uh, Connie Swingle and uh, the nine horse, but ABC. But I will say, uh, you know, the last start uh, really looked like turned a corner and they added blinkers. So 
Uh, looks like that uh, equipment change has done some good. So Lexington Humor uh, is definitely one that could, uh, you know, get into the game here and uh, upset things. The other horse that uh, intrigues me is the six, Royal Address for Drysdale. This horse uh, came back off a, uh, you know, layoff last time and had some uh, some trouble, got checked and was brushed. Uh, you know, if you go back down the page, though, there's definitely some good races going down the hill that this one uh, could definitely, you know, compete and perhaps upset at a big price. Um, the only other, uh, you know, horse that, uh, you know, is even worth mentioning in here uh, is the seven. She's so nice. Um, Ricky Gonzalez has had some, uh, you know, luck on this one uh, going down the hill, but, it, you know, just doesn't quite have the numbers as, uh, you know, the, the morning line favorites and uh, the three and the nine. So uh, I'm going to stick with three, nine on my A line, and I will use uh, a few of the two and six uh, to back up. Yeah, I think that makes sense. I was going to add in a little bit about She's So Nice, who I think will probably just blast. I mean, they'll probably just try and go and take them as far as they can. Six and a half down the hill can always be a little tricky as far as trying to wire it, but there are circumstances where it can happen. You mentioned a little bit of, uh, of specializing in, in this particular trip. Amy sees one for one and Connie Swingles three for three. Not surprising. I've always felt like if you were good down the hill, uh, you could probably be good turf sprinting, period. But I do think it takes a, a certain kind of horse to get used to the downhill nature of it, along with the crossing over on the dirt. Let's go to leg number two, which is going to be up at Golden Gate, the Pike Place Dancer at a mile on the turf course. We've got two-year-olds, most of whom have either just broken their maidens, some of them who, whom have not broken their maidens, and some that are coming off of other stakes races. Where are we going in the Pike Place Dancer? Yeah, like um, this is a race that um, I'm salivating for right now because there's just so much speed in here. And uh, morning line favorite number two, Amy, please, uh, you know, if if she needs the lead to do her best running, which is what, you know, on paper, she's one for one on the lead. And her other race was uh, quite dismal. So I'm thinking she needs the lead in here. And she's got a horse to her inside in Wanagalo, who is never not seen the lead, you know, sprinting five and five and a half. So, um, you know, going a mile today, there's going to be some problems up front and I'm predicting that they get there on time. Um, you've even got other horses like uh, Jennifer's delight, the, uh, the actual nine to five morning line favorite for Michael McCarthy, uh, who's another front running type. So it just feels like there's too much congestion on the front here. And uh, I really like the five bolts broad. Um, a horse that's, uh, you know, already shown a, a really good running style for a race like this, uh, you know, having run third in the surfer girl at uh, Santa Anita, uh, passed plenty of horses, broke its maiden passing horses. So I, I just feel like this one um, really has a big opportunity to uh, get a stakes win here, bolts broad. So lone A with the five. Um, a couple that I'm going to talk about backing up with because I don't like either of the favorites, the two and the four. Um, I'm going to back up with the three easy Ferris. This is an American Pharaoh filly that has not tried the lawn yet. And um, just looking at her running lines in the last couple, it, it kind of gives me the indication that perhaps she's uh, getting some dirt kicked into her and she just kind of stops. So at, you know, 20 to one morning line, that's the type I like to take a shot with and uh, see if we can't get them to wake up on the lawn. And then the other one is the uh, seven uh, quickly park it for a uh, Sean McCarthy. And this is uh, the one I'd rather use just simply because it's past horses and broke its maiden on the turf, uh, you know, going a mile already. So um, backups three and seven for me, but very strong opinion and number five bolts broad here. Yeah, I totally agree. I think bolts broad really going to get the best of the setup and, from a speed figure perspective, I don't see why she'd be a much longer price than Jennifer's Delight, hoping that that morning line ends up right. I do – I'm a little concerned, though, that the public is going to see that uh, that this race is loaded with speed and, and want an off-the-pace type. Nonetheless, as part of the sequence, I think you can get plenty of value there. Third leg is the Autumn Miss at Santa Anita at a mile on the turf. This is a grade three event, and we've got a really deep and competitive field going postward here on what is a better-than-average than a Saturday card at Santa Anita without question. Is it as simple as Cairo memories on the drop out of the, the pair of grade ones recently, or are you looking to go somewhere else? Um, she definitely, you know, has a big presence in here, Nick. You know, what I'm kind of intrigued by is the rail horse, the one, Nadette, um, being shipped in here uh, for Drysdale um, in Team Valor International. 
you know, this one is, if you look at the time form ratings, you know, a 103 in its last, and everybody I talk to has different formulas for, you know, trying to, uh, you know, gauge what a, you know, what kind of buyer that would be. And um, I, it seems like it's, that would be around a, you know, a high 80s buyer. So I just feel like this is a horse that, um, you know, running in Europe and coming, you know, to our softest, uh, you know, uh, I call it the turf island, Santa Anita. So, you know, it, it feels like this one has a big presence in here. Uh, the one they that Umberto Rispoli takes the call. Uh, so I, I'm going to use one and 10 as in, you know, as my A's in here, Nick, but you alluded to this. There's a, you know, this, this is a very deep race. You can go a lot of different ways. Um, a horse I'm staying away from is Pammy's ready. I just feel like this one, you know, does not want to go a mile. It's doing its better running, uh, running, sprinting. So I'm going to stay away from the three. I'm going to stay away from the four Graceland gray as well. It's another one that I feel like is better off sprinting. Uh, but with that being said, the ones that I would back up with in here, um, you know, are like the two Tesere. um, looks like, you know, she's done, you know, just fine, uh, going two turns and they tried her sprinting. So they're uh, bringing her back out around two turns. I like that. And uh, another one that's uh, a long one in here, the five, Lucky Girl for George Papadromo. Uh, I'm just going to take a shot that this one doesn't like Delmar and, uh, you know, prefers the uh, Santa Anita lawn. And if that's the case, you know, this one's actually beat uh, or, you know, run with Cairo Memories a few times. So uh, Lucky Girl at a big price is one that I'm willing to use. And uh, Ray Moon. For Phil D'Amato, you know, uh, this guy is very tough. You know, he's uh, he has his horses ready for these big races. So uh, I'm going to use Ray Moon as a backup as well. So two, five and eight for backups and one and ten for A's in here. I like it. I think Kyra Memories will be pretty tough when push comes to shove. This is a pretty, pretty steep drop in class as well. And I think the upstart types that are jumping up the class ladder, they don't look all that formidable to me. So a little, little interested to see how things shake out. I imagine that Kyra Memories is going to come down off that eight to five morning line, which is definitely appropriate. She should be a big favorite in here. No doubt about it. That is leg number three, the autumn miss at Santa Anita. We're going to close it out at Golden Gate. Leg number four at 5.51 Pacific time. This whole sequence is going to take place in about 45 minutes, which is great. Uh, we've got two-year-old maiden fillies. I'm sorry, three-year-old and up maiden fillies going six furlongs on the tapita surface. We've got a field of nine. How are we going to close it out, Blake? Yeah, you know, this is an interesting heat to try and close things out. You just look at uh, things on paper here, and, you know, the first thing you notice is the eight, Tamantary, has run faster than everybody else in the uh, in this race so far. The thing that, you know, really concerns me about her is she might be that second-itis type. You know, she's four, her last four starts, she's been second, and uh, she's been a, uh, you know, the post-time favorite in her last two. So um, she may have a little bit of that pack animal mentality, but uh, she's only had five starts. So, you know, it's I can't quite say that, uh, you know, she's a complete toss. But that being said, I like the number two, 212, who uh, is making its second start. This is a four-year-old for Andy Mathis. Um, he's 22% making the second start uh, with a maiden with a uh, positive ROI of $3.15. So a lot of things make sense here with the two. And the other one that uh, gives me a lot of interest is the nine, Delia Mo. Um, you know, this one was on the lawn last time uh, against Cheaper going long. But it woke up and, uh, you know, ran a, a 64 buyer and uh, just barely got beat. Now we're cutting back on the synthetic. Uh, so I, I feel like that uh, if the form from the turf to the synthetic uh, you know, translates, then this one's got a big shot. So uh, we're going to go 2-9 as A's. We'll back up with the 8, Tam and Terry. And um, another one that I'll back up with uh won't ever see me doing this too often, but uh, in Idaho, first time bred for uh, Steve Speck, um, got his go-to rider and Cat Martinez up, uh, worked six furlongs, uh, two back, don't see that too often. So it feels like that they, uh, you know, have this one ready to go. So I'll back up with that one and the three striking Sherl. So uh, three, five and eight is backups and two, nine is A's. I like it. Striking Cheryl's a horse I wanted to talk a little bit about. She's from that really good uh, female family campaign, largely by Charles Fipke. A number of horses in there, including Perfect Cheryl in the uh, 
on the damn side. Fantastic Sherl was another talented turfer. Doesn't have to be much, I would guess, to contend at first out for these. And obviously, Jonathan Wong, very good with every type of runner. Plenty of 5 eighths breezes as well. Should help this daughter of English Channel see out the six furlongs. You did mention Tom and Tari, of course, who's the morning line favorite. And the likeliest winner on paper, potentially having some seconditis issues. Wondering if uh, if Asa Espinosa can get this one a little bit more involved early. That might uh, help kind of minimize the deficit that she has to overcome in the final couple of furlongs because that has really been her undoing. Well, that's a look at the golden hour pick four for Saturday afternoon. Again, be sure to play along first post for the sequence in Santa Anita's ninth race is 5.06 Pacific time. Blake, thanks so much for joining me. Absolutely. Best of luck to everybody out there and enjoy your weekend. We'll have Blake along next week for sure to have some Breeders' Cup related content. I uh, would imagine I will enlist his help without fail. Let's move along on this Friday Players podcast. The Keeneland Fall Meet is nearly finished, but you can still get in on the action and wager with Keeneland Selects. New accounts bonus. New accounts receive a special $100 back after you wager $200 on Keeneland Racing this October. Wager a total of $300 in the first 30 days and earn another $100 back just with the standard sign-up bonus. Sign up at KeenelandSelect.com. Keeneland Select, mobile betting that gives back. Next up on the In The Money Players podcast, we have Drew Coatney here to discuss a little action north of the border. We're going to go over the late pick four up at Woodbine. Drew, what's going on? I'm good. I'm good. Uh, looking forward to the like weekend prior to Breeders' Cup, so getting all excited for that and uh, wetting the appetite with a little bit of Woodbine this weekend. Yeah, there's actually some sneaky good racing this weekend, and of course you can follow along with all of it at InTheMoneyPodcast.com and on the network itself with uh, – the New York Showcase Day card on Sunday. I'll be doing a, a video podcast for that, sponsored by the New York Thoroughbred Breeders. We've got a good card at Santa Anita as well. Dean Kepler will have you ready to go for that. But as for these final four races at Woodbine, let's get into it. The seventh race is at 4.32 Eastern time at a mile and a 16th on the E.P. Taylor turf course. And Drew, one of the themes that we're going to discuss over the course of this late pick four is big fields. And this is no exception. We've got a packed starting gate going postward. How can we get this sequence started? Yeah, I think this is a wide open one. And watch the tote board for clues because, right, we're, we're splitting hairs here on what we like, at least how I'm going to lay this out. And I, I think this could be one of those they know races where it's like, oh, someone flashes at six to five to open. So just keep an eye out for that. But right now going in kind of pre-flop before seeing the tote board, I, I like number nine, Spitestown Cheryl. A bit of a bad trip last out and comes third off the bench running those competitive figures and the race four back against seasons in our flash drive i think wins this race so the number nine top choice for me spitestown Sheryl. we'll be using the number one devil's bit a bit uh at eight to one unexposed form and i i think it's trending in the right direction and there was a sharp five furlong work on uh, october 16th that stands out to me so the number one devil's bit may be some value and a deep long shot play won't be Miss Marie for me, who I have been on in past, but I think the better closer is the number 10, Anne of Cleves, 15 to 1. If the pace clap happened up front, which could with these type of lower levels, uh, this horse will be coming right, uh, running late. One thing helping this horse is the last few races were over those inners, uh, and so today gets the outer, maybe helps that grinder closer style at 15 to 1 a good backup to have on the tickets. And what one I'm taking a stand against here installed, I think is the morning line favorite, the number eight swoop to finish at three to one. It's just been getting way too many easy paces. And I think it's going to face a pretty hard test today. And those two combos, I don't like to see. So three horses for me, the nine, the one, and a little bit of backup on the 10. How, how are you seeing this one? Yeah, I was hopeful that, uh, like you, I, I liked Spikestown Sherl, and I was hopeful that she'd be ridden aggressively. There's really not a lot of speed in this race, despite the sizable field. And I think that could really work to her advantage. Daisuke Fukumoto taking over for Emma Jane Wilson. And um, she's been at her best, I think, when she's been more engaged early. So I'm kind of hoping she harkens back to, to some of those performances. I didn't like Swoop to finish either. I think the public will really worry too much about her finishing nowhere behind Moira and um, and finishing second in, a, in, in about as restricted a race as you could get last time. Not only was it for three-year-olds, but it was uh, for Ontario bred. So, I mean, I think this mm -hmm. is a... This is a pretty big jump in class. I, I wondered, the only other horse I had a little bit of interest in, and she's going to be up against it pace-wise, was a Fish Mooney. 
who looks like she might be going the right direction. These Cassie horses, a lot of times when they get to Canada, become like reclamation projects, and they often do get a lot better. She's obviously gotten a lot better. I mean, this is a, a horse who wasn't even competent as a, a mid-range claimer in the U.S., but now is, is looks to be significantly better north of the border. So I thought you could make maybe a little bit of a case for her. It is one of those where you're bringing together a lot of horses who don't have thrilling form with horses that are getting better pretty quickly, like Kittens Romance and Retail Therapist and Fish Mooney. So I think it's one where, regardless of your bankroll size, you're going to have to be pretty liberal in terms of, of how deep you want to go. Yeah, I like the number six Fish Mooney the more I look as well. Let's go to the second leg at a mile and a 16th on the inner turf course. We've got a field of eight going postward here. I thought this race was a little short on speed, Drew, and I wondered if that might help a couple in here, uh, not including the morning line favorite number two, Burning Man. The one that really stuck out to me that would be helped by it, that was at least going to offer some value, is the four courtly manor, who just might not be good enough. That was my big concern. Yeah, you're reading my mail. I, I have the number three Burning Man on top because the drop in class today and what you had shared with uh, the pace, I think is going to help keep Burning Man almost in a stalking position. And so I expect Burning Man to be a short price. And I do love the number four Courtly Manor as well, who could just get out there and be loose on the lead. So a little exacta maybe wouldn't be a bad way to go with uh, the three passing the four late. Uh, a little logical over a 12 to one sounds good to me in this spot. Yeah, I thought that was fair, and you could certainly make a, a pretty easy case for it. The six Solar is going to get a lot of money as well, and, and obviously something happened in his last turf start, but I think this son of Flatters made it pretty clear. He prefers the synthetic, and you want to bet horses off of the form on the surface. They're actually running on. I guess Sagimi on the outside has a little bit of speed as well and can be forwardly placed, but when he's gotten into faster-paced races, he's had a very, very hard time keeping up and I'm envisioning that being an issue uh, once again this time around. That's leg number two. Leg three is race nine at 539 Eastern. We go to the Tapita surface at five and a half furlongs. Got a field of 10 going postward here. Where where did we land, Drew? Yeah, this is a hard one, isn't it? I, I, I'm going with uh, another one. Watch the tote board for clues where someone may know that a horse is ready to pop. But the number seven, Destinique, at five to two. I think is going to set up perfectly for this runner. Not a ton of pace in here and should be able to just sit the trip too wide and gets a little bit of a cutback too. So the number seven destiny can five to two seems like a great price as well. And then uh, the number five Dakota at six to one, four for nine at the distance is pretty noticeable, notable to me and uh, got some easy fractions to produce that 85 three back. I, I looked at the back form of that. It was okay. It kind of stood up so-so but in the, these type of fields so-so may get you home so a little bit of refreshing from july i think may wake this horse up so to keeping it skinny seven and five for me in this sprint i like it i thought the one other horse that i wanted to mention uh towards the outside was super lunar who for sarah ritchie comes in off a fourth place finish where she made two moves david moran getting into the irons and i think she's going to be in a really good spot outside the other speed Eight to one on the morning line. I felt like this horse could offer a little bit of value. I wonder in a way if she's never going to quite get to the level that she was at before she got claimed by Sarah Ritchie. But I think there are enough races in her in her running lines that you can point to and say, okay, if she gets back to that, we could be dealing with a real contender. But definitely a fun race and one where you've got horses going all over the class ladder, so quite a few mm -hmm. droppers, a couple moving up in class that look like they're uh, they're in pretty good position, all things considered. The nightcap is a $40,000 maiden optional claimer at a mile on the inner turf. This is a good time to break out the pedigrees and see who might benefit <laughs> from moving to the turf if they've uh, already started or who might be ready first time out. This one is the one where not only do you need patience, you probably need a little creativity. Yeah, I think so. And I'm not a huge pedigree player either. So that may be a good tool in the bag uh, if you can pull that one out. But I'm going with three horses. The number two, Blonde Dynamo at 8-1. to one. Uh, It looks like this speed of the race with not much speed assigned on elsewhere. So it could just be loose. And that could be deadly in these type of maiden claiming type races, just getting on the lead. The number nine, Bedazzle Me at 7-2, to two, is a deep closer and needs to stay in touch with the field. And I'm hoping this runner is only four lengths back and doesn't have too, too soft of fractions up front. And then 
the number six sharp as a rainbow at eight to one. The drop in class and running competitive figures at the higher class level, hard to leave off the ticket. So it's three horses for me. I think you could go in a lot of different directions. The two, the nine, and the six. I like it. I think it makes a lot of sense. I thought the five all my tomorrows who has had a hard time getting out of the gate in each of her first two starts might be a little interesting. The blinkers are coming off. Maybe that's going to going to keep her a little bit more engaged when they get into the starting gate, a jockey change as well, perhaps, you know, trying to change things up a tad off of a, a couple of performances that maybe were a little lackluster. So there's plenty of room to improve. No doubt about it. I think that's the case with a number of runners in here. Fun little sequence, all things considered, Drew. Yeah, it is. I, I think the double is going to be where I'm going to look to place my wager in dollars on the seventh into the eighth with a little Spitestown Cheryl into Burning Man. And if we can get anything over 12 or 15 to one, that feels like a good fair value price to, to me. Yeah, I think that's uh, that, that's definitely part of it. And of course, we cover the pick four on here, but you're welcome to take as many uh, approaches to the wagering menu as you possibly could. There's going to be value to be had in a few different spots. One of the things, of course, about Woodbine Racing that you get is the 20 cent minimum on the pick fours and pick fives that can often make those a lot of fun. Well, that's a look at Saturday's Woodbine late pick four sequence on this In the Money Players podcast. Drew, thanks a lot. I'll see you next week. Talk to you soon. All right. Cheers. Thank you. Thanks again to Drew, and we are going to move along. Breeders' Cup may be next weekend, but this weekend it's the Breeders' Crown. We're in the championship stretch of the Woodbine Standard Bread season, and Woodbine Mohawk is proud to host the 2022 edition of the Breeders' Crown presented by Libfeld and Katz. Two more huge uh, racing nights ahead of us on October 28th and uh, 29th. Great stuff happening. $100,000 guarantee in the early pick five. In addition to the segment you'll hear on this show, a deep dive from Edison on the team over on the round play or round table. Check that out on our archives, wherever you get your podcasts or over on our YouTube channel. Stay tuned to these airwaves to get all your breeders crown information. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of the Friday players podcast. Big thanks to Drew Coatney for joining me to discuss Woodbine, to Blake Jesse for the Golden Hour Pick 4 look, and to Scott Shapiro for coming on to talk about the late Pick 5 at Keeneland on Saturday afternoon. Thanks, of course, to all of you, the listeners, to all the In The Money Plus subscribers. Be sure to stay tuned for everything we've got going on at the network moving forward. And until next time, best of luck. There is a new JK collection release for Breeders' Cup 2022. It's the Winchell Epicenter Gold Label. Ron Winchell, those iconic silks had such an impact on the game. Four starters at this year's Breeders' Cup. You can get the special Gold Label shirt if you're an Epicenter NFT owner. You got the special access over at OpenStable.io. Buy the shirt with a digital collectible, and you'll also receive an autographed Epicenter Platinum card signed by the wildly successful Ron Winchell himself. The Gold Label shirt is only available at OpenStable.io and while supplies last. If you're an Epicenter fan or a fan of any of the Winchell starters and just want to wear the shirt for Breeders' Cup without the Gold Label, you can still do it if you act fast. Go to Old Smoke over at OldSmokeClothing.com.